This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the New Books Network. Uh, Welcome to New Books in Critical Theory. It's a podcast that's part of the New Books Network. Uh, On this episode, I'm talking to Arturo Rodriguez Morato and Alvaro Santana Acuna about sociology of the arts in action, new perspectives on creation, production, and reception. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, uh, David. It's a pleasure to be with you today. And yeah, it's it's a pleasure to have uh, both of you here. So you're um, the editors uh, of this uh, new collection, uh, which I, I think is a really important contribution to uh, the sociology of, of arts and, and the sociology uh, of culture. And, and we're going to sort of talk about why that is uh, over the course um, of the podcast. And I suppose the place to start really is is where did the idea for the collection come from? Um, you know, I, I noticed that the kind of new perspectives is one of the terms in the title. So, you know, why do we need new perspectives now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's a wonderful question. And if I, if my uh, memory is correct, the the original idea goes back to uh, 2013 in New York City. So that was actually the annual meeting of the American Sociological Association. And Arturo... Uh, and I, we had already met um, a few years before. We happened to be attending a, 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 the same panel where one of the contributors was giving a paper. And then after uh, attending this panel, as Arturo and I started talking about that paper, and then kind of by, uh, by chance, we just started talking about this whole list of colleagues, uh, Spanish-speaking colleagues who were either uh, working in the United States or had a connection to uh, kind of Anglophone research institutions that were doing cutting-edge work in sociology of culture and the arts. And and I think at the moment, um, Arturo and I realized that it would be great to produce a volume uh, assembling many of these uh, voices. While the people who are in the volume are certainly there because they, they need to be, I also want to emphasize our, a few other people that we reached out that could not make it, but they are still part of that, that family that helped us to put this volume together. 
if I, if I might turn to you, Arturo, what one of the things the book does, uh, as all you know, kind of really um, good edited collections does, is it tries to kind of stake uh, an agenda, you know, sketch an, an agenda for um, the particular area, soci- sociology of of the arts that it's interested in. And I wonder if you could do two things really to introduce the book. First off is to give us uh, perhaps a brief um, history of the sociology of the arts and then to introduce this idea uh, of the sociology of the arts in action. Yeah, well, certainly uh, it is, uh, I think, always important if you address uh, uh, an area of, of war to to understand a little bit the perspective, the historical perspective. And in this case, this is, in fact, a little bit complicated because there is a long history and very diverse with different national traditions, etc. But it is not important now to go into details, but I think and this is what in the book is, is showed, that uh, it is important to to look uh, to to think on at least two two moments uh, in the evolution of the of the discipline. Uh, one took place uh, around the sixties when uh, um, uh, a new generation of sociologists, professional sociologists, that were uh, initiating. Uh, work on uh, this area uh, in Europe, in the United States too, uh, in a way uh, they confronted uh, an old uh, generation that uh, came from uh, from the humanities. It was a very different kind of uh, sociology of arts, uh, one that uh, was organized uh, through specific areas linked to, to, to artistic disciplines, to music, to literature, to art. And, um, and in that case, for those old sociologists, uh, humanist sociologists, uh, their work was much uh, or basically focused on the, on the work of art, on, the, on their textual uh, um, expertise as analysts, uh, but they were unable to uh, to analyze really the the connection with uh, with the society, with the dynamics, uh, any dynamic uh, uh, relating the the groups that produce that, etc. So this this uh, first um, empirical uh generation of the 60s and I include here Bourdieu, uh, Baker and others uh, mm, mm, develop a criticism as a, a, a radical criticism in fact of, of the of the previous sociology of art and open a, a new uh, way of working in, in this area. Uh, a way that was characterized by focusing on the relations between between the people involved in in the arts, in the production of the arts, in the distribution, in the reception, etc. So that was uh, a, a moment very important. And then I would say that uh, 
there is another moment, much more recent, 30 years after, uh, around the 90s, where when uh, when it was less radical change, but uh, at that time uh, several uh, several changes took place too. Uh, and new, uh, there were new new thematics uh, that uh, appear uh, at that time. In, in a way, um, it, it was um, it, it was characterized by the fact that uh, some very important, very productive uh, programs uh, uh, elaborated in the seventies and eighties, the one by Bourdieu or the one by by Becker uh, or by Peterson, Richard Peterson, the production of cultural perspective. These programs uh, tried to, to, to develop on the base of the, of the studies, specifically on the arts, a sociology of culture. And this was for several reasons. This is explained in, in the introduction a little bit. For several reasons, this projects in a way failed and and uh, this um, uh, made that uh, sociologists of art at the time uh, to some extent uh, went back to the interest uh, focus again on the on the more specific uh, thematic of the work of art this one this was one of the of the main changes uh, at, at that moment um, and well, this this is um, uh, a certain the, the main traits of, of of this evolution, I would say. And uh, from that time, uh, from that time, uh, more recently, uh, we speak on this uh, new situation of the uh, sociology of the arts in action to say that. Um, that uh, in continuity with with that uh, evolution, uh, there is uh, now in recent times uh, a growing, for example, a growing eclecticism uh, in the approach to, to to the work on sociology of the arts. Uh, uh, this has been particularly important, I think, because. Uh, Many people uh, adopted a, a new uh, perspective to to combine uh, references, to combine frameworks, and uh, and this is very characteristic of the current situation and um, produce the the the, the uh, productivity that we can see uh, these days. I, I would say there are many other things to say, but. Uh, uh, I think this explains something. Yeah, I mean that's a, it's a great overview of um, the, the introduction, and, and and I should say the book picks up on on some of those uh, themes and ideas in the way it's structured, thinking about as you've said, you know, artworks, thinking about uh, production structures, and thinking about practices of of creation and and, and reception. And if, if I might uh, stay with, with with you, actually. Um, and, and, and just um, think about the first um, couple of chapters in, in the book. The first chapter is about um, architecture and, and kind of competitions for, for architects. 
Um, and then the second, I, I guess, kind of follows on quite neatly from that because it's about um, things like place. So uh, why does the book uh, start with uh, this focus on on production and, and what do things like architecture and place uh, tell us and, and why do they matter to understanding sociology of the arts? Well, the, the structure that we uh, decided for the book, you know, uh, in fact, was quite conventional, I would say, because it covers the all the cycle of the of the activity that is involved in in the in the the world of art, uh, and so we started with this production, and in this case, uh, these two uh, chapters uh, address uh, things that. To some extent, are connected a, li- a little bit connected uh, because uh, the chapter by Ignacio Farias is about uh, uh, architects and uh, architects uh, work with with place too. And in in, in the case of of this uh, chapter, I, I would say that uh, what is interesting and and what is characteristic. Uh, in relation with the character of the book in general, is the, the way uh, in which the case, this specific case, that is a very special case, in fact, is paradoxical uh, in a way because uh, um, architects uh, uh, recreate... Uh, he, uh, he studied a case of uh, architectural contest, a uh, very typical situation for architects. And um, and in in that case uh, in that uh, in that case of situation, in fact, the situation is uh, one that is uh, open to uh, to real autonomy. They they, they lack a, a client uh, in in this case, a very specific client. And uh, and Ignacio Faria show very well how uh, they recreate. Uh, uh, in fact, the conditions of heteronomy. That is, in, in a way, something contradictory to the to the more usual perspective, Bourdieuian perspective on the on the issue. Using so, in this case, he contrasts the, the the this theoretical perspective of Bourdieuian origins with. Uh, uh, actor network theory, uh, which is the framework in which uh, he he that he uses for for his work. Uh, so I, I think it's a a case that uh, is a revelatory case in, in in many senses, and and it's interesting for because of that. Uh, then the case by um, the the chapter by Matthias Sarlenga on plays. Well, place uh, is something that is obviously around always, but it's something, and it is important, it's uh, obviously important, but uh, has not been um, studied too much in, in the sociology of the arts. Uh, but it's a, it's a key uh, issue, for example, uh, in relation with a... With, uh, very important, and this is something that uh, also I I stress in the previously in the introduction that uh, the importance 
of the uh, and the increasing importance in the sociology of the arts of um, topics, thematics, interests that connect with uh, important public issues. So uh, uh, place uh, is uh, an element that uh, plays an important role uh, in relation with something that currently is very uh, very present in in many cities, the, the, the clusters that uh, are uh, constituted of creators uh, promoted by, by uh, public administrations, for example. And uh, this is something that uh, in many ways, in diverse ways, uh, is, um, is being developed in, in many places. But I would say that it's not uh, well planned uh, in general because it's, it's, it's poorly understood how it works, how uh, these conditions of the of the space that uh, is the, the 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 environment of the of the creators uh, working in these places, how this influence uh, and. Uh, make uh, possible certain things or uh, block some other uh, developments. This is something that has not been uh, studied really very well. And this, uh, this chapter do a good job, I think, in, in starting to establish a certain typology and representing the logic of the different trajectories of creation in relation with these uh, contextual places in which uh, creators work. Alvaro, if I might bring you in uh, to discuss the um, fourth chapter, um, it, it's interesting that Arturo has, has mentioned uh, Bourdieu and uh, I guess a kind of critical engagement with Bourdieu uh, a, a couple of times. And chapter four uh, uses a discussion of kind of the culinary field, high cuisine, um, to, to offer a bit of a critique um, of, of Bourdieu. So what, what's going on um, with that uh, particular case study? Um, and what is that, I guess, kind of um, contemporary critique of Bourdieu? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so chapter four is written by uh, Vanina Leshiner, uh, who is a, a professor at the University of Toronto. And she engages with, uh, as you put it, the culinary field, which, you know, if you think about this, you know, cuisine traditionally hasn't, hasn't seen, has not been seen as a form of art, right? And I think the landscape has changed uh, quite rapidly in recent years. And we do now see uh, food making as an art form. But when Vanina started doing this research, she was really at the forefront of uh, research. I was really trying to show the importance of uh, uh, food and cuisine as a, as a, area of artistic expression. So in order to make her argument, to offer a critique of Bourdieu's fields uh, theory, so she conducted ethnographic research in 44 restaurants in New York City and San Francisco. And the the restaurants that she selected, including uh, uh, include some of the most important chefs uh, in working in some of the most prestigious restaurants in the cities. And during her course of the, during the course of her research, she was actually able to challenge two important 
premises in the study of cultural creation. So first one is the idea that cultural fields are structured around the, the poles of artistic reputation and commercial success. And the second one is the idea that innovation arises from lower or higher status positions in the field. And actually what Vanina was able to demonstrate was that innovation only, innovation normally um, arises from middle status positions in culinary fields. And I think this is a very important contribution, again, as we're actually now witnessing this uh, global success of uh, chefs around the world. It's interesting, particularly because uh, I suppose the kind of the challenge to Bourdieu, um, it doesn't run through every single chapter, but it, it's, it's an important presence in the book but it also suggests that the sociology of art and in, in this case you know um culture it has these much broader boundaries than we think of of just being you know a critique of who goes to the gallery or uh, just being a discussion of um particular kind of artistic uh, or creative practices in say the visual arts or, or in theater and it gives a good example of this and if, if I might turn back to you, Arturo, is the relationship between um, art and, uh, and and politics. Um, and what, what, one of the things that um, as the, the, the book moves on sort of slightly away from production, um, I guess, to, to think about um, how art works, you, you know, the subject of study is this question of, of art and politics. Um, and this is the kind of key thing for, for chapter five. So, um, what happens when we sort of connect creative careers, organizational practice and politics? Where, where does that story fit for uh, the new kind of sociology of art? Well, I think that um, this, uh, this offers a particular interest because the, the, uh, on the one hand is something that is uh, in general characteristic of this time in the evolution of the discipline that uh, there are more and more explorations in in spaces that are uh, uh, relatively far from the um, canonical spaces. Uh, a moment ago, we we were speaking. Alvaro was was speaking about cuisine, and uh, and now he in this in this chapter, it is the. The, the point in which two walls very different in principle uh, uh, connect uh, the wall of art and the wall of uh, politics. Uh, and, uh, but usually, uh, I think that um, this connection has been more explored um, um, through the consideration of uh, reception of the of a word that tried to produce some effects, uh, but it's not so usual to to look into into this uh, perspective of uh, creative careers uh, of uh, organizations, right? Um, and uh, so this uh, provides some views that are not uh, so so usual to. Uh, to, to see and, uh, and it's uh, particularly significant um, especially because in this case um, 
uh, it is the case of a um, militant theater company. So it's a, a, a group that, uh, in fact, is defined intrinsically uh, in, for being in between the, these two worlds, these two logics, these two interests, values, etc. And uh, looking to, to, to the case that represents this hybridity, I would say, uh, you can see uh, how the, the, the organization uh, address uh, certain tensions, certain, uh, certain contradictions that appear in the distribution of work, in the decision-making, uh, within the organization, etc. So I think it's a, a new, uh, a, a quite new uh, case that offers uh, an interesting perspective on this connection. I mean, th this connection, again, is something that comes up uh, quite a few times in the book, particularly actually towards the end of the book when we're thinking about... Um, arts institutions and, and the politics of, of the environmental crisis. But also you know, with, within that example, there's, uh, I think, a good um, example of the way the book has so many different kind of, kind of methods. And, and if I might turn to you, Alvaro, on, on, on this, uh, Montagnola's chapter, I hope I pronounced that correctly, Daphne Montagnola's uh, chapter, is very much about methods um, for a variety of different reasons, actually. And I wonder if um, you could use that really to kind of comment on um, the range of different methods that are in the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so certainly one of the things also that was uh, at the original impulse to create this book was not only the range of themes that uh, all these colleagues were exploring, but also the different methodologies and Daphne's chapter on uh, habitus in dance, I think is a very good example of what you are saying, David, because uh, Daphne uh, uses in her chapter a technique that almost deconstructs frame by frame a rehearsal, right? Why she does that is because she's, she's interested in artistic practice and, um, and also... Um, one of the means by which she, she, she studies artistic practice is using video ethnography, right? So then uh, in the chapter, what she does is to uh, study the London dance company Wayne McGregor, uh, Random Dance. And she filmed uh, over two months of uh, rehearsals with five fixed cameras on the stage and then another one handheld camera. And then in the process of the analysis, she was kind of almost frame by frame, right, analyzing the, the rehearsals. And then she was really able to see how creativity uh, is a social process of communication and cognition, right, and how during this process a specific habitus develops. So we see, for instance, how the director, right, is instructing the dancers to dance in one particular way. But sometimes so there is also room open for improvisation, for change. And that's what Daphne means by showing how creativity ultimately 
is a social process of communication and cognition. If, if I stick with you um, just for, for the next couple of chapters, Alvaro, if that's an example of um, the kind of methods and the innovative methods that are in the book, um, the other thing that you know we've heard already about Martin politics and uh, things like the, the boundaries of what culture is with um, the chapter on, on cuisine, um, Castano's chapter um, looks at the relationship uh, between art and science, and I, and I guess actually collaborations between artists and and scientists as well. Um, and I'm again interested in, I suppose, why this chapter? What is the chapter saying? And again, this moment of where we've got, you know, sort of um, two areas that would traditionally be thought of as kind of separate and very different, but they've been brought together. Yeah, and, and I think that, again, yeah, this is also a very interesting chapter in the sense that it pushes the boundaries of what we, 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 what we can consider art. So this is a chapter by Paula Castaño, who is actually a research fellow at the University of Exeter. And uh, yeah, and, you know, one of the questions that she's asking is how can we represent the uncertain, right? And um, when we think about the uncertain, we need to take into account, or we, or one of the things that first comes t- to mind is the, the universe and the ways in which we represent the universe. And if we think about uh, representations of the universe, you know, we're really talking about a long history of connections between science and art. And, you know, this is probably something that is well known to many of our listeners. So images of objects such as stars and constellations are usually colored by artists, not by by scientists. And that involves a collaboration between artists and scientists. So, and what uh, Castaño does in her chapter is precisely to investigate this kind of collaboration, right? So the creation and production of a uh, collaborative art piece that took place between an astrophysicist, a historian, and an artist. And that collaboration led to the creation of the artwork called Carve Air. And and the goal of the artist, and I'm going to quote here, was actually to study the material fluidity of the universe, and then what followed uh, was uh, what follows in uh, Castaño's chapter is a study, the study of this collaboration, right? That is trying to represent one of the most, arguably one of the most fascinating ideas in astrophysics today, which is dark matter, right? Which is uh, this invisible matter in the universe that we know that has these gravitational effects, but we cannot see it. So, so these, uh, the astrophysicists, the historian, and the artists are collaborating and trying to represent uh, dark matter, right? This uncertain object, and the result is actually these uh, two beautiful and innovative uh, artworks that were exhibited in, at a gallery in, in Berlin, right? And, and Paola has continued to do work along the same lines, you know, trying also to explore the boundaries of science. So she's actually completing a manuscript that looks at experiments on the international space station. So I think this is, you know, again, a, a very good example of how, uh, you know, this volume um, helped her to put together um, uh, a body of research that is then expanding the boundaries of what we think about the, the boundaries of the interaction between science and art. That's the final chapter in the um, section that covers creative practices. But, but obviously, 
uh, when we move on to think about artworks themselves, um, you know, meanings and materiality, you know, we're still, um, you know, sort of intertwined with things like um, creative practices. And I have to admit, as, you know, a sort of big Beatles fan uh, and, and coming from uh, Liverpool as well, I was really intrigued uh, by um uh, the chapter on on the Beatles, which opens the um, section uh, about the artwork, and, and I suppose the study of things like um, consecration, how you know um, particular artworks become legitimate and you, you know um, canonized or whatever terms we'd, we'd like, is is a really important thing for the sociology of art. So, what what does this chapter, um, I, I guess, kind of add to to that tradition? Um, and you know, what the Beatles actually are, as it were. Yeah. So this is yeah. So this is a chapter by Chris uh, Christian Martin Perez Coleman, who teaches at the University uh, Autónoma de Madrid. And yeah, and, and the question that he's asking is precisely what you're um, mentioning, right? So when why are we talking what we talk about consecration, right? And and specifically in this case, how did the Beatles? become one of the most successful and influential groups of in the history of, of music, right? And of course, you know, the, the initial impulse would be to say that the lyrics are amazing and that they're produced like amazing songwriting. But uh, Martin actually um, goes beyond this traditional approach and, and what others have done as well and explores the notion of what he calls the gener- gener- ter- generative formula, right? So, um, so this notion of the generative formula has now become a standard in the industry, right? So the search for a formula that would allow then that would produce a marketable product. But in the 1960s, you know, it was really it was a real breakthrough. And the point that Martin makes is that the Beatles under Circle were really ahead of this search for a formula, right? So then what he does in the chapter is to show how key technological changes such as, for for instance, Developments in studio recording and actually the very idea of the very notion of studio recording, the production of uh, cheap forms of audio recording, right? Uh, the emergence of the rock album as a work, because another thing that uh, uh, Martin says is that rather than being just a collection of songs, LPs became during uh, the Beatles period a mode of creative expression, right? So the Beatles actually thought of the LP as a work of art, not just as, as a collection of songs. And also another interesting change that also the Beatles um, were at the forefront uh, was that rather than being just uh, thinking of themselves as artists who perform an uh, a song, they start transitioning to something that later on became the norm. So not just being the performer, but also the songwriter, the arranger, the sound engineer, the producer. And and I think if we fast forward just a little bit ahead, we can think of other examples such as Michael Jackson or Madonna, right? And I think um, with this perspective, I think that uh, Martin uh, allows us to better understand uh, why the Beatles were so successful uh, at the time and then why down, down the road this formula was so central to understand their their consecration as a popular, um, as a classic uh, pop mus- uh, music band. 
This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The other part of this section is, it's called materiality. And obviously materiality is, is really kind of important when we're thinking about the sociology of art. Um, and... Um, I wonder, Arturo, if I might bring you back in uh, to talk about why materiality matters. And um, De La Fuente's chapter is is kind of centrally concerned uh, with that question. So, yeah, where, where does materiality uh, fit in, into the sociology of art? Uh, well, in fact, uh, in the in this phase of the evolution of sociology of arts, materiality is a very central. Uh, focus of interest for many people. It is a, a way, a logic way to uh, to go uh, to analyze the, the the work of art. Uh, in the past, uh, the the all sociologists, humanist sociologists of art, uh, were more interested in structures of uh, of the of the works of art, but uh, uh, now uh, it has been very enriching, in fact, to connect, uh, and this is another characteristic of the time, uh, uh, to connect with many other literatures beyond sociology, beyond sociology of art, uh, that uh, address this issue of the materiality uh, the, the the meanings that are involved the, the 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 specificities of the relation between actors and, and specific objects and how objects can uh, produce a certain agency on them etc. So f- for many authors currently uh, this is a, a very important perspective and. Uh, and uh, provides a lot of uh, insight, I would say, in 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 the analysis of of the work so far. But in the case of the chapter by um, Eduardo de la Fuente, it's a, a, a more special way to 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 use that uh, because it is not uh, in his case the the interest is not to. Uh, to understand, uh, to to analyze specifically uh, specific works of art or genres, or uh, in in their uh, materials, in their materiality, uh, but uh, to to look into these materials to um, 
to explore how they mm, put in connection uh, uh, cultural objects and artistic objects to more general meanings and more general values with uh, meanings uh, connecting to epochal meanings, meanings uh, connected to, to the places, uh, specific places, etc. Uh, so this is a, um, an original uh, perspective that um, uh, in, in the analysis by Eduardo de la Fuente uh, shows very well how it uh, can provide a lot of, uh, of uh, insight on the... He, in fact, develops a certain original methodology for... And more for analyzing the, the social world through the materiality of the artwork. Uh, and this is, well, it's an angle that is not so common and is uh, very interesting, I, I, was, I think. That question of, of meaning um, is, is really important to um, your own chapter, Alvaro, about your work on... Um, Garcia Marquez's uh, 100 Years of, of Solitude and, and you've written a book on this it, it, it's really you know kind of great um, quite quite famous now I, th- I, th- I think uh, sociological study um, and I wonder um, where does this chapter sort of fit in um, to, to the rest of the book I, I suppose why were you uh, keen to bring in um, I guess your kind of own work uh, when we're thinking about artworks and contemporary sociology of art yeah, thank you for that, uh, David. Yeah, indeed, you know, one of the reasons also why, why I knew many of the contributors in this volume is because we shared that that concern, a theoretical, methodological, epistemological for the artwork, right? And what's the artwork and, you know, can we actually unpack the uh, the artwork and then integrate, integrate the artwork from different perspectives? And in my case... What I try to do is to address the question of, you know, uh, how things become classics, because not every artwork becomes a classic, and yet classics are one of the most powerful social institutions around. Um, um, so what I argue in my chapter is that a classic is a classic because over time and across the space, um, produces what I call the, what I call these small units of significance that I call indexicals. And these indexicals are kind of bits and pieces of the art, the artwork that even people who have not experienced the artwork, whether they have read it, watched it, seen it. Uh, so the, even though they may have not experienced the artwork, even these people are actually able to recognize that that work if a class is a classic. And the example I like to give is, for instance, uh, as, as an example of us, this small unit of significance is, or indexical, is the, the expression to be or not to be, right? So you don't need to be a Shakespeare fan to recognize that this actually comes from Hamlet. And then when asked, most people would say whether they like it or not, whether they have read it or not, that Hamlet is a classic, right? So then in my chapter, what I try to do is to study whether uh, this is happening to the novel 100 Years of Solitude. In other words, whether uh, bits and pieces of the novel are transcending the written page and entering 
or the domains? And the answer is actually yes. So what I do in the chapter is to show precisely the different patterns, uh, different ways in which these indexicals from the novel are being used globally in pretty much uh, around the world in more than 80 countries over the past uh, 60 years. I mean, on that, there's obviously an element of attachment of, of fandom um, around 100 Years of Solitude, as well as you say about its, you know, sort of importance uh, and its status, that sense of people knowing, you know, um, the parts of it and, and it entering, I guess, kind of general culture. The, the chapter that follows your your chapter, uh, Claudio, Benzacre's chapter, it, it also deals with, I, I think, similar themes, although it starts... Um, the the following section that, that's about um, I guess kind of uh, re- reception re- really and, and to an extent kind of audiences and he talks about um, opera which he's very very famous for writing about but also uh, football shirts which is really fascinating because you know you don't usually hear those two things uh, together all, all at once and I'm interested to know about I suppose the kind of the role of fans the role of audiences and, and how people end up kind of attached to cultural objects yeah indeed and as you you put it very nicely right so uh, Claudio Vensek is looking at two objects that in theory could not be more apart from each other, right? So opera performances and football jerseys or shirts, right? So opera performances being an example of high art and football jerseys being an example of kind of popular pastime. However, one of the things that Ben Secre does is to develop an important connection between these two uh, cultural objects that transcends social and cultural barriers. And, and as you put it, as you said before, these connection is attachment, right? And to study attachment in opera, he did an ethnographic work in the cheaper floors of the Cologne uh, Opera House in Buenos Aires. And then in the case of football football jerseys, he conducted a, a multi-site study of the Boca Juniors jersey history, right? Boca Juniors being one of the most famous uh, 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 football teams in Buenos Aires. And he shows precisely that. He shows how, like the classic, I was exploring in my own chapter, how widely shared cultural objects serve as vehicles for subjective expression by means of an attachment to an attachment to that object that sometimes is even labeled by people, by fans, as love, right? And and I think, as Calvin Secri says in this chapter, I think this opens the door to then rethinking the varieties and types of object attachment and the creation of meaning that such attachment generates. And I think also Claudio is taking this, um, several of these ideas um, uh, step ahead uh, in his new uh, book, uh, The Perfect Fit, in which he's also looking at, at the global shoe uh, industry. Yeah, in, in, indeed, very much so. Um, and I think that there might be a podcast about that book on uh, the New Books Network somewhere as well to give a little uh, advert for uh, for that. Um, the, the book finishes... Um, with two, I guess, really kind of classic um, issues, not just for the sociology of art, but but actually thinking about more generally um, about how um, academics have, have kind of studied art. And um, if I might come come to you, Arturo, mm-hmm. to to sort of wrap up 
um, the book. First off, we, we've got a chapter that's about evaluation and the kind of classic question about, well, how do um, works of art, in this case, kind of, you know, artists and funding decisions um, get evaluated? And then a, a chapter that talks um, about the role and the importance of institutions. Um, so how does the book finish these themes of evaluation and institution? Well, I think uh, first uh, evaluation Evaluation certainly is uh, is uh, a crucial dynamic in in managing the activities, and uh, more and more is present in formal ways in uh, in many areas. Uh, in the case of of the arts, uh, it is. Uh, uh, Always all about evaluation by uh, by publics, the, the, the works, or but um, the case uh, more specifically refers the case by Mario Miraki uh, in the book refers to a to a program, an evaluation program, uh, grant making program uh, in Canada uh, for for artists, for visual artists. And um, and that are uh, very interesting cases for for the analysis of the of sociology of the art. That in fact and, until now uh, there has not been too many uh, studies of of this kind. Uh, uh, again, as as other chapters in the book, in this case, this uh, analysis. Uh, situates and uh, is um, defined in the frontier between the sociology of the arts and other uh, areas of sociology. In this case, sociology of evaluation, uh, because there are uh, a lot of work that is been doing currently about uh, and in economic sociology too. And um, and well, uh, the the. This specific uh, case of uh, of grant making programs uh, offer uh, really a very a very interesting laboratory of uh, of evaluation. It's uh, something that is formalized because um, because um, public institutions, public administrations that uh, give this. Uh, these grants need to to specify, formalize, and uh, legitimize these these grants. So this requires this all these uh, uh, devices, uh, evaluation devices, and and the the article, the the the, the chapter, um, is, give a, a lot of uh, uh, detail and. And insight on the many aspects that uh, appear in this organization of the evaluation, the the, the, act, the actors that uh, uh, negotiate and uh, and that use criteria, that use uh, established categories, that uh, uh, and the, the processes how they are uh, defined for arriving to the. Results to the 
rankings that are produced and then the effects uh, that the, that this is are produced by by this exercise of evaluation so i think it's a, it was a a piece that was very important to in, to to include in the book in the other case uh, the 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 chapter by marta herrero about uh, institutions and and the protests uh, in, in front of institutions uh, in relation with some institutional behavior uh, that is rejected. Uh, um, it is a, a very special perspective. I, I think that uh, the institutions and the perspective of institutions has always been uh, at the center of the analysis of the sociology of, of the arts uh, notions by Howard Becker, uh, for example, speaking about art walls, uh, is essentially an institutional perspective, uh, how uh, this is uh, specific spaces constituted by by uh, certain understandings between people participating. Uh, but here, uh, what is particular is that uh, uh, it is at the same time several things uh, the case because these protests that are uh, are um, uh, try to 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 contest the 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 the, uh, the, the sponsorship that uh, the the institution uh, gets from. Uh, from British oil, I think. Uh, in in this case, um, the, the the activities that are analyzed in detail consist, in fact, in rituals that are, uh, in a way, also uh, works of art uh, too. So. Uh, this case uh, that we put uh, we put the cases uh, at the end of, of the book, in fact, uh, uh, combines uh, perspectives uh, of different areas of, of the book. It is about reception, certainly uh, critical reception, but it is also about um, production and about uh, work. Which is a good illustration, I think, of how, as you say, the different themes of the book really run throughout um, the chapters, really, and are not uh, separated off, even though they are in, in different sections with very different case studies, different approaches, different um, methods. To wrap up, you've both given you know a really sort of brilliant and, and you know quite quite detailed overview of um, what's going on with the, with the different chapters and, and with the. Uh, framework for, for the book and at the same time you know there's there's so much that we sort of haven't discussed in in, in terms of leaving things for people to read and, and people to engage with the book um, but to finish with that I'm interested in what um, you, you're sort of uh, both um, doing next really so, so maybe um, I'll stick with you Arturo first and then uh, come to you uh, Alvaro so so what are you sort of currently working on Arturo what what, what are your sort of you know next um, sort of projects going to be uh, in general in the sociology of the arts or my own <laughs> projects. You, 
Well, that that is a good question because obviously, you know, having worked uh, to bring uh, a collection like this together first, uh, you, you know, um, and then obviously in, in, in translation as 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 well. Um, maybe you're sort of thinking, I don't want to do any work on the sociology of arts anymore, or you've got uh, new ideas. So yeah, in, in terms of your own work, what, yeah. what's next? Well, in, in fact, I, I can say something about my own work and uh, my projects uh, that uh, relates um, a lot to the perspective that I see as uh, evolving in sociology of the arts currently. And I think, I tend to think that this uh, some important uh, advances or evolutions taking place uh, currently. Mm, for example, one thing that uh, that uh, I, I I will refer to, to, to a work that I am doing now, but uh, in general terms, I would say that, uh, and, and I say in the introduction to speaking about the future of uh, that we can see, uh, that uh, it is important uh, and it is the next thing maybe or one of the next things that we need to, to have in mind to improve, uh, to, to develop more uh, comparative work, for example. Uh, uh, this is uh, something that uh, it, is, um, it is, for many people, not so easy uh, uh, sometimes and uh, requires... Um, teams that work on projects more bigger projects than than isolated projects of a scholar and um, and so it's not so usual but it is very important I think in this respect for example I am doing now uh, I am running a, a, a big project uh, that is funded by European Commission uh, uh, that study with a lot, several teams uh, in different universe, European universities that collaborate in a, in a study that try to uh, analyze the dynamic of, uh, of valuation of culture, how in society through different, uh, from different uh, angles from reception, from the administration, from the the, the, the different organizations involved in in production, how uh, evaluation and valuation of of culture uh, is uh, elaborated, and how this produces a certain certain hierarchies of of value, uh, and that. Uh, um, produce many effects uh, uh, of many kinds. So th this is, for example, the, 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 the main project that I am currently doing, and I will be doing that uh, for one year uh, yet. Um, and it's my, my main interest. But uh, I also want to, to, to develop a certain, another project about another thing that in my view it is crucial for sociologists of the art to, uh, to, to, to take more 
and to develop better uh, ways of analyzing that, which is uh, innovation, artistic innovation. Uh, uh, this requires, in my view, or it's interesting to to find ways to to compare different different uh, areas of uh, artistic production uh, in order to understand better uh, what is more important uh, keys of uh, certain developments. So this is my perspective. And what about you, Alvaro? What's next for you? Yeah, well, uh, I must, uh, I'm, I'm basically working on, on um, three projects right now. Um, so uh, one of them is actually the Spanish version of my book, Ascent to Glory, the biography of uh, One Year of Solitude, which at first I thought I was going to translate, but I decided to rewrite it, exploring techniques of nonfiction. So it's been fun, but it's, uh, it's t- taking me a lot of time to do that. So hopefully we'll finish that this year. And then I also have, um, and I'm having over the past few years, I have been conducting an ethnography at an art making facility that produces uh, contemporary art, uh, mostly sculpture. So I'm basically looking at how um, contemporary art uh, renders invisible the work of what I call um, well, actually, invisible workers. Uh, so the, the larger the artwork, uh, the less visible the, the intervention of uh, workers um, on the ground. Um, and then the other project, which is also, I think, uh, something that I may write a reflection about, is this uh, global exhibition. So I basically have started start to do curatorial work uh, before the pandemic, so I was asked to curate the exhibition of the archives of Garcia Marquez uh, by the Ramson Center at the University of Texas in Austin. And that exhibition, which originally started, was supposed to happen only in Austin, has become a sort of a global exhibition. So last year, exactly last year, um, so it was opening at the Museum of, Museum of Modern Art in Mexico City, and then this exhibition is also going to travel to Colombia, probably a few other countries in South America, Europe, and probably Asia. And I think it's been, it's been extremely rewarding as an experience to also uh, do sociology of curatorial work, if I can put it that way. So eventually, I'm not sure if I would just write an essay on that. But it has been very um, an, 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 an eye-opening experience to put uh, sociological research on museum walls. I mean, it sounds like both of you have got um, several projects that would make really um, excellent books. So um, I look forward to uh, hopefully getting you back on uh, to the podcast to hear about um, how those uh, particular projects have, have developed and, and hopefully into books. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, I'm happy. <laughs> I hope that happens, David. I would be happy to be again here just reporting on the, yeah, the conclusion of these projects. Thank you again for the invitation, David.